right, all right. Day 258. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our selves. All right. So today is the first day of the gospel of John, right? And John's gospel, man, is said, uh, it's been said that it was the most popular and beloved gospel of the early church, right? So of the early church fathers, um, you see John talked about more than any other gospel as much as any other gospel. And if you read it, and and this is my humble opinion, he might be the deepest, (laughs) most philosophical, philosophical of all the New Testament writers, right? His writing And I say that because his writing is both profoundly simple and simply profound. So on one hand, it's like, yo, like if I'm walking a new believer right through the Bible, I may start with John. Right. But also it's like as you grow, it's like the book grows itself. Right. You see so much more. And I'm so excited to share so much that I think um, the Lord wants us to see in this gospel. Now, John has usually usually been split up into two major sections right so you have the prologue and you have the epilogue but in between those two sections you have the book of signs where jesus is going to do these seven signs and then the book of glory which is 13 to the end uh where he is going to uh uh, head towards the cross last week of his life whole nine yards and um what i love about john is he's going to give us a lot of information just so we're clear right and one of the things he tells us in this book is his purpose for writing the whole john right the whole the reason i'm writing this uh, uh, John 20 verse 31, he says, no, but these are written, right? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, <laughs> the son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name, right? Side note, I don't know if I said this, um, at the beginning of Matthew, but listen, the central confession of the new Testament is that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He is the messianic king from the line of David who is going to bring in the kingdom of God. And every book is a creative expansion and interpretation of that very truth, right? And so John is saying the same thing here. He's like, no, 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 no. Like Jesus is the Messiah. And I did a whole extra podcast on what that means um, on Patreon. So sign up for Patreon if you want to hear that. Now, he has these seven signs. So John is obsessed with sevens. He has these seven signs. He has these seven I am statements about Jesus. And he has these seven absolute I am statements about Jesus as well. And so he is obsessed with sevens. He is showing that Jesus is the completion. Hear this, the completion to the Israelite story that unfolded in the Old Testament, right? He's the completion of the whole thing. Let me see. Let's let's start out with John chapter one. He says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, huh? All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. The very opening phrase of the book, alludes back to Genesis 1, right? The very first words of the Bible open up with the exact same construction that we see here, right? In the beginning, right? John doesn't uh, give us a birth narrative. He doesn't give us a genealogy. He doesn't present us with Old Testament scriptures. But what he does is he backs up to eternity, to before creation, and show that Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is the divine Logos, he, he is the one who created the world. And one of the things we learn about John is that, um, and I'll show this more as we go out, that he is the greatest Trinitarian theologian to ever live. Listen, God exists eternally as three persons. One God exists eternally as three persons. So we have God is three according to person, one according to substance, right? So what, what John does here in the very first verse, verse bro, is he alludes or, or shows that Jesus is the logos. He is the word, right? Uh, logos is the Greek word for word. 
And so um, he shows this distinction in that Jesus, uh, who becomes the, per the person who becomes Jesus is the logos, that's distinction, but also unity, that he is actually God itself. Different person, same substance, right? Um, now, if you remember Genesis chapter one, remember how God created the world? How did he do it? He spoke. He spoke the world to existence. That was just not that was not just a polemic against the ancient Near Eastern creation stories where uh, 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 everything was created through theomachy, through gods fighting uh, and, uh, each other and then one uh, overcoming the other. And then he creates the world through that. No, no, no. Like here, God speaks through his word. And John is telling us the gospel writer of John is like, no, no, no. Like that was about the second person of the Trinity doing that. fam. That was about who the man who comes to be known as Jesus doing the very work of Christ creation so jesus <laughs> creates and he redeems right creation and redemption belongs to the son of god right so um it's so much here uh, that i can get into and i'm already over and we still in the first chapter but the thing i want to say is this listen in the greek world right in the greco-roman world in greek philosophy right the, the the word logos to the stoics that's a that's a, a, a greek philosophical group represented the rational principle by which everything exists and in, in which uh, is the essence of the rational human soul. And in Jewish thought, right, the word or the logos, if you look at texts like Proverbs 8, if you look at uh, some Second Temple apocryphal text like Wisdom of Solomon, um, they, they, they see the word as the powerful agent behind creation, kind of like Genesis 1, like we talked about. Um, but it also is personified as the wisdom of God. And I think John, what he's doing here, is blowing up categories for both Jews and Gentiles, right? This is language that they both could have understood and made sense of jesus right so so in other words um if, if they would have went to the greeks with this message it would have made sense to them you see what i'm saying they, they could have fit jesus into that paradigm and at the same time had jesus blow up the paradigm you know what i mean and so um so good and we have the uh, uh jesus being the light so jesus is not just um the word he is the light he is the life he is the love of god personified right light and darkness themes that go back to creation as well and i love it because what he says is that word became flesh 114 look what he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us then it says this we observed his glory <laughs> the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth man this is the most astounding thing in the world fam listen that god became a man right that the infinite eternal uh perfect right god became a human being right that is amazing and the word he uses for dwelt here right the word became flesh and dwelt among us is the same word if you go back to the greek old testament especially in the book of exodus it's the same word for tabernacle so in other words remember in the, what happened in the exodus now john is padded after after the exodus like every other uh gospel it's so much here um but but remember happened in exodus the people get redeemed from slavery and then God comes and dwells with his people in the tabernacle. Go read Exodus 40. Right. And so what he's saying is, no, no, no. Jesus comes in tabernacles among us. Right. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his message translation. It says uh, uh, that Jesus came to live in our neighborhood. <laughs> right. A paraphrase of the New Testament. But. Uh, Jesus comes and then it says his glory we observe. Now, remember in the Exodus uh, uh, narrative, the glory of God is the very thing that filled the tabernacle. Here, John is saying the same thing. He said, no, 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 like the glory of God himself, right? We get to see it with our eyes. And it's so amazing. So good. Um, he's like, we've seen it, fam. We've seen it. Um, and he's the one and only son. He He's the only begotten son, which is which, which is uh, language from the old King James Version, meaning that he is eternally generated from the father, meaning he has a special relationship with the father that no human being ever has or will have. Why? Because the father wholly communicates his divine essence to the son before time began. Right. I know I'm getting to deep trinity 
Trinitarian theology here. But listen, uh, Jesus is the Son of God in in a way that none of us could be. But uh, in the in the in the same uh, breath, He makes us sons of God in a way that we couldn't be uh, without Him. In this the end of this chapter, I gotta move. Uh, he gets seven different titles after the prologue. The prologue is so deep. One uh, one one through eighteen. But 119 to 51, listen, uh, Jesus gets seven titles. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's Rabbi. He's Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's King of Israel. And he's the Son of Man, right? He is bringing this story to completion. And we are meant to marvel at his glory. And that's what John wants us to do. I'm going to go along today. I'm just letting you all know. John chapter 2. We get the first of John's seven signs, and ironically, the first one is a miracle that Christ performs where he turns water into wine. Why is it uh, ironic, Keith? Well, I'm going to show you. Listen, now the signs specifically here were not meant to just show that Jesus could do tricks or that he was a miracle worker, but they were written that we will believe that he's actually the Messiah. What is So, so what does a sign have to do with Jesus being the Messiah? Go back to your Old Testament, Amos 9, 11 through 15, especially this first sign. What's interesting is that in this text, Amos 9, 11 through 15, it speaks of the Messianic age. And the Messianic age would be coterminous with the new creation. So in other words, the Messiah will bring the new creation, right? And in the new creation, it said, listen, that um, things would, would, would exceed the natural means. So it said in the Amos 9 text, it said that the mountains will drip with new wine. <laughs> it said that wine would be present in the new creation. Or a text like Isaiah 25 that talks about the wedding banquet of the lamb. And at the end of time, how, how well-aged wine will be present when the lamb brings his uh, messianic banquet in the new creation. And so what Jesus does here is, is he doesn't merely meet a need, although he, he does do that by providing wine. He is fulfilling the scriptures in accordance with the divine plan and promise, promise that was promised long ago. He is bringing the new creation into this age. In other words, this is not a random miracle. Right. It's, it's a strategic miracle. Right. And it's pointing to a greater reality of life. Right. Of this new life that ultimately comes in the future. Right. But has began to break in the present. Right. Jesus did this. It says the first of his signs. Listen, in Cana of Galilee, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Right. Uh, John chapter three comes. And I love it because we get the famous story of him and Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The text is clear about he being a Pharisee. He is one who should know the law. Right. And he basically comes to Jesus at night. Very interesting. Now, uh, John is going to use a ton of double entendres. Right. So he is spiritually in the dark as he comes to Jesus in the dark. Does that make sense? Right. So if you if you if you, if you will, this conversation with Jesus is going to actually prove this. Right. And so my man, Nicodemus, like I like to call him Nick at night. So Nick comes at night. And so Christ will make two uh, enigmatic, very difficult to understand statements for Nicodemus uh, on a service. It says this. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, <laughs> he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you uh, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Well, one of the things Jesus does in the Gospel of John is he will use earthly realities to highlight spiritual truths, right? So he will use earthly realities to highlight spiritual truths. And so here he will use the metaphor and language of being born again 
to talk about the spiritual reality that we would call later in theology regeneration right and regeneration is basically a benefit of salvation that christ accomplishes for us where a person goes from being spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins to spiritually alive ephesians chapter 2 right is an instantaneous work that most of us are unable to pinpoint right in the moment but yet we are able to see its effects in our lives and on the lives of others and this happens, and I can't even unpack so much in John 3, fam. Oh, my God. This happens as the Holy Spirit is sent to live inside of us, raising us up to a new life. The Spirit gives life, uh, Romans 8, 11. And he talks about being born again because uh, this is the radical nature of what takes place, right, in people. He, he, he And he draws on language, uh, language from Ezekiel uh, to show that this was a specific promise of the new covenant and that the Messiah is bringing this new covenant. And... um. Yeah, it, it, it's a perfect metaphor, though, because, again, uh, it's as if you become a completely new person, as if you had received a new birth. Right. And so Jesus is saying, like, hey, this is what the work I've come to do. Uh, this is the best way I can characterize it in human language. So much we could say there. I may have to do a deep dive for the, pie, for the Patreon uh, about being born again. In the language he uses the wind the wind language is so key because in the old testament the spirit was called the ruach or the wind and and so jesus talks about the spirit but at the same time he talks about the wind moving and going where it pleases it's so good uh and how wind actually moves things and changes things but you actually can't see the wind and we actually can't see the holy spirit anyway i'm gonna keep going and then how how how, how the waters he talks about the waters of the spirit and in the old testament the spirit is always used in in metaphorical language like being poured out or even paul says god poured out his love in our hearts through the holy spirit anyway I, I gotta move. I gotta move. It's so much. It's so hard. Uh, Jesus is not just kind. He's brilliant. Remember that. John chapter four, last one of this bunch. And this this one blew my mind this time reading it. Listen, we, we see that Jesus is involved in an in-depth conversation um, with a Samaritan woman. Now, in John's gospels, he's going to have a ton of conversations. And, it, and one of the things you have to see is that meaning here, meaning here is usually, uh, the, the in other words, how do I say it? The, the, the dialogue is pregnant with meaning. <laughs> right so 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 much of the meaning is found in what the the characters are actually saying and so he comes to the samaritan woman at the well now we must remember the complicated 800 year history that jews had with samaritans right um it's a history that 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 that, that was kind of wonky why because uh samaria was the city of the capital or, or was the city of the capital was the city and the capital of the northern kingdom of israel right initially now remember the kingdom split solomon sin kingdom split so northern the northern kingdom the capital was samaria right and so they were so sinful they was wilding right they set up a whole basically a whole new religion in the northern kingdom don't read about it i believe it's first kings 13 and so they get taken off into exile to king 17 right uh by assyria because they were sinful right and, and god was like i gotta judge this and so what happens is assyria comes it doesn't just take everybody but they also bring gentiles to come to live in the land so they take people out the land and then they repopulate the land so in other words they populated the city with some pagans <laughs> and so they bring these gentiles and they mix in with some of the people that was left over in the city right and they they breed together and they form what is called samaritans right these people called samaritans and and, and if you go through jewish history it's so much it's so crazy because the samaritans developed their own like idiosyncratic weird theology where they only believed in the torah first five books of the bible and they believed that um the place of worship was not at the temple in uh jerusalem mount zion um where david had established it in solomon but they believed that it was in mount gerizim so that's why she talks about you know the place to worship is not on this mountain right all this kind of stuff um so, so, so they had all these wonky views. Anyway, they were looking forward to a Messiah as well. And so Christ engages her dialogue and Jesus answered. He's like, you know, 
Um, basically, if you knew the gift of God who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, she doesn't see the double entendre. He he asks for water and then uh, offers her living water. Right. And so she thinks he's merely talking about something physical. But indeed, like John, John does, he's talking about something spiritual. And he says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Now, this is so amazing. What Christ says is, is, is good because he talks about having living water. And if we go back and they were talking about the temple. So if we go back and read texts like Ezekiel 47, I know it's a very weird text, but we see that the prophet said in the last days that the temple would be restored and that a life giving river, huh, living water uh, would flow from it. Also, God is spoken of spoken of in Jeremiah as having or, or being the cistern of living water. So this is the Old Testament uh, metaphor. But Christ reappropriates that language to himself. Right. He says, no, 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 I'm the one who gives the living water and the water he's talking about again. Holy Spirit. Right. Remember water metaphor, spirit. Hold on. Um, and the spirit is the one who who provides the eternal life. Now, remember the Trinity. Right. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working together to accomplish one work of salvation. Now, um, he has this discussion and I, this is what I love. I'm going to get real practical. He has this discussion about the temple to show why we don't need one. Right. Because he's like, I'm here. I'm the temple. Right. You come to worship the father in the spirit and truth. By coming to me <laughs> and the gospel is so deep because jesus is the only one here too so not only that right that, that's true but also he, he's like no no i'm the only one who can give living water somebody got to give it to you <laughs> and i'm the one that can do it so in other words what jesus is saying he's like no, no i am the one who can quench the thirst of the human soul no no he says your soul thirsts for the living water of Jesus. And if you're listening to this, your soul thirsts for the living water of Jesus. The problem is, our problem, this is everybody's problem. You want me to solve the whole history of humanity right here. Our problem is, is we attempt to try and quench, right? Our thirst that we have with things that can't quench our thirst, right? With money, with careers, with ambitions, with social causes, uh-oh, with successes, right? It, with trying to get PhDs, uh-oh, like this is, and this is like, and the, you know what this is like? This is like the eating of salt when we are dying of thirst. What do I mean? In other words, this, this don't do nothing but make you more thirsty. <laughs> it does nothing but make us more thirsty, right? And what Jesus is trying to show us, fam, oh my God. Is that the life he provides to us? No, no. Right now satisfies and fills something in us that nothing on earth ever could. Ever. And and, and Jesus is inviting you to drink. To drink. And you can you can you can never stop. Like you'll never have too much. You can you can keep drinking and drinking and going deeper and deeper with Jesus. And I love the progression. Oh my God, John does so much at once in this in this passage. We see the progression of her understanding of Jesus as he talks to her. Listen, this narrative is juxtaposed with the last one, right? So remember Nicodemus, and then right after this you have uh, the Samaritan woman. So you got Nick at night who was clueless, and you have the woman who continually progresses in her understanding of who Jesus is, right? She goes from seeing him simply as a Jew, then as a prophet, and then as one who told her everything she ever did. And I love it because our understanding of Jesus is much the same, right? Like we tend to have layer after layer unearth as we go deeper with Jesus. We see that we start to see facets 
of who he really is and what he's actually done in real space-time history. Um, and, and, and I love it because, uh, you know, the, the gospel of John uh, mirrors what, what, or, or, or kind of foreshadows what will come in the book of Acts. You see Jesus go to the Jew first, Nicodemus, to the Samaritan. And then he's going to go to the Gentile at the end of the chapter. And this mirrors, right, and anticipates what comes in Acts um, to show that, as he says, right, in John 3.16 and in John 4.42, that the life he offers isn't just for a specific people group, but for all the peoples of the entire world. Listen, my charge to you today is whatever corner of the world God has placed you in, I pray that you would take the message of Jesus's kingship, his messianic kingship there, right? And you would say, come see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would take us deeper with Jesus, that we will begin to see how great in the depths of his person. Lord, I pray that you would do this for us and that we will worship you as